Welcome back to Tapping Into Crypto, the podcast for all things cryptocurrency. Today, we're joined by Dr. Angela Loria, who has done away with the traditional hierarchical structure in business. They threw away the org chart and she has transitioned the author incubator, which is her business, to operate as a DAO. Now, the Author Incubator was founded to help life coaches and other professionals write and publish their books, and they've done so with over 500 authors to date. We're going to be chatting about what a DAO actually is and whether it could be the thing to save you time, money, and revolutionize the ways that we all do business. Now, guys, if you're looking to get into the crypto game, our friends over at Swickdex are again giving you $10 worth of Bitcoin just for signing up, and they have some of the lowest fees on an exchange. So if you haven't already, head to the link in our show notes to take advantage of that. Because whether you're a beginner, a Bitcoin veteran, or just crypto curious, I am your host, Alicia Chapman, and this is Tapping Into Crypto. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Angela Loria. It is so wonderful to have you here with us today. Yes, thank you for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation. Me too. Me too, guys. This is one of the conversations that I have been so excited to bring you. It's a topic that I just cannot wait to dive into. But before we get into it, Angela, the question that we ask everyone to the podcast is, what was your very first cryptocurrency purchase? And do you still have it now? I wish the answer to the second part was, Yes, but uh, I. this is a true story. It is embarrassing. But in 2013, I was dating a drug addict and he had me go purchase a Bitcoin, like a one single Bitcoin. And I met a guy in a hospital cafe and for $960, I purchased a Bitcoin, which I then gave to my dumb boyfriend and he bought drugs with it. And, um, yeah, that is gone. That is gone. Oh my goodness. That is not the story we usually get when we were, but it's so funny. There are so many people that, you know, maybe have a dark web story or something like that. It was my dark web story. (laughs) And then he did a book with me. Oh God, which I can't, unintended consequences. And he did a book about the dark web and Silk Road, which is where he bought all his drugs from. So he did a book about Silk Road. So it, I, I got a book out of it. Oh my gosh. And there would be so many people looking back if they ever went through transactions, if they were part of Silk Road and they looked at what they spent and how much they spent and how much that's worth now, you'd just be devastated. Right. Yeah, great job, yeah. but terrible, terrible. Gave up the Bitcoin and gave up the ketamine, but anyway. <laughs> yes, and you mentioned book there, which I also want to unpack with you before we dive into all things crypto and, and your business as well, which is what this conversation is going to be about. Um, your business does involve books. So can you tell us a little bit about what you do and how you help people? Yeah, I work with entrepreneurs, mostly coaches and consultants and speakers, and I help them get their books written and published and promoted and out there helping to grow their business and their platform and their thought leadership. So I have been doing that since basically when I bought my first Bitcoin. (laughs) Started the journey. We need to write a book about this. Seriously. And now there are. It is incredible. And it's called the Author Incubator. And it's something that you have helped so many people with this and fast-tracked their ability to be able to write books as well, which I think is just phenomenal. You know, it's something that is so daunting for so many people 
to write a book. But with you guys, uh, hearing you speak about it, it's just such a seamless process. They come to you and then you help them bring. Yeah. So this is the thing. I think it's a lot like running a marathon. It's like when you think of writing a book, it's so big. Or sometimes I'll compare it to like losing a hundred pounds. It's like so big that you just, first of all, you probably can't do it alone. Most people can't. And you're probably trying to do all the steps at the same time. So our authors spend 24 to 48 hours, not consecutively, but 24 to 48 hours to actually write their book. And you could do that too. Anyone could write their book that quickly. But organizing your thoughts is the really hard part. So if you separate organizing your thoughts and you do that with someone, and that's what I do with people, I'm like, tell me all your shit. Let's turn it into an outline. Let's give you tiny writing assignments. Like I can give you 24 to 48 writing assignments. Each are an hour. Do them over six months. And those will make a book. But if you just start writing, if you start with the blank page, you're probably going to write yourself into a wall and never finish. So if you separate your organizational tasks from your writing tasks, it'll go a whole lot better. My tip of the day. <laughs> I love that, guys. So if you're wanting to write a book, which, you know, in the crypto space, some of you may one day write about, perhaps not the stories on Silk Road, but something else in the crypto space. And it is a phenomenal business, which you have done something pretty unique with. So we're going to dive into the journey to uncover what you've done. But before we do, we're going to be talking broadly about DAOs today. Now, it's something that we haven't touched on in the podcast before. So Angela, at a very high level, could you let our listeners know your understanding of what a DAO actually is? Well, the best part of that question was the phrase your understanding, because I don't, I mean, I'm, I don't want to be a DAO expert or present myself here as a DAO expert. But what I can tell you very clearly is the problem that the DAO uh, organizational structure solved for me. So uh, one of my goals with my business and in life is to transcend the patriarchy. And some of the systems and structures that have worked really well up until now and that we're watching fall apart. Like we're watching education and healthcare and government and so many systems fall apart. And I think that's horrible for lots of people on a day-to-day basis. But I think it's part of a transition from this has nothing to do with guys against girls, but a masculine dominated form of existence of systems, which is led by, again, this doesn't have to do with men, but it's just led by energy that is like thrusting forward and penetrating versus energy that is receiving. And I think what we probably need is that yin-yang a little bit of both. I don't think anything's bad or good or whatever, but most of our systems, and if you think about any organization you've ever been in, even if it was the Girl Guides, like any organization has this hierarchical structure. And, you know, there's the Girl Scout leader and then there's the assistants and then there are the Girl Scouts and everything is in this order of power. And that power structure comes from masculine dominated thinking, not from men being assholes, but just from masculine thinking. I think it's important to distinguish that. And a DAO to me is a much more feminine style of organizing a group. So I looked at my business and I've always been like, how can I use this business to smash the patriarchy? And 
I did all these things that I think were good and heading in the right direction, but I still had an org chart. Like it just seemed logical. Like I'm in charge and then I hire people to help me and then they hire people to help them. And then maybe they hire people to help them. And there's this beautiful little tower building. And what happened was, first of all, as a leader, it's exhausting. And that is one thing I have to say about like masculine leadership styles are really tiring, especially if you are at the top of them. You know, when they say like in the fifties, the man is the head of the household. Like that's a lot of responsibility. You're in charge of your wife and then the kids and the kids get like, it's just like, it's, Tiring. And what is a ama- DAO, by the way, stands for decentralized autonomous organization. And all three of these words are important here. So to me, everyone in the organization has a role. And the more autonomous they are, the less tired I am, the more I can receive, and the less I can be in charge of thinking about everyone. Mm-hmm. And then decentralized is just like, you do your thing. I do my thing. And we have to have checks and balances and using the blockchain and tokens. And I know we'll get into that, but it is a way to organize a decentralized organization. So like, I don't know, this is a weird example, but the first decentralized organization I remember learning about was Al-Qaeda. Mm-hmm. And they were trying to explain Al-Qaeda and they're like, they're decentralized. There's no leader. And I'm like, well, this will never work. Like, I don't understand this. So I'm like, but who's in charge? Who can we kill? Who has the power? And of course, what we learn is like, it's just like a multi-headed hydra. You kill one, somebody else pops up because it's decentralized. Mm-hmm. I kind of want that for my business, not in the terrorism way, <laughs> but in the like, everyone has a role and Everyone has a vested interest and I'm not the dad and we can all row. And if somebody puts their oar down, somebody else can pick their oar up and we're still going in the right direction. So to me, a DAO is a way of organizing that has rules and structures and voting, but that isn't that masculine hierarchy. And it's such an incredible concept. Like I think that talking about a vested interest, like if we look at traditional models again, people talk about giving people employer share plans and they're like, oh yeah, if the company does better, then I get a return and you know it incentivizes them to do some more or bonus structures and those sort of things. But when you're looking at that, you still have that one head or that board that are making the decision. So as an employer, you can still often feel so powerless in your ability to contribute. And if you don't agree with something, usually there's such a hierarchy and so much regulation and rule red tape to be able to move past that, which I think that to me is the the biggest incentive when you're looking at DAOs is it's like, well, you actually have a voice that matters. You have a voice that can actually make change and do things. Yeah. There, so the shoe that I want to talk about, because uh, I was really into bonuses and profit sharing, And it was disastrous for me. So maybe not disastrous, but really shitty experience for me and for my employees. So profit sharing is interesting. We set up profit sharing. We worked with, I don't know, smart finance dudes. And they're like, okay, here's what people do profit sharing to keep employees. It's an employee retention tool. Mm -hmm. So we're going to give everyone a four-year vest. And every year, you'll put the percentage of profits, I forget what we were doing, 20% or whatever of profits into this kitty. Then it will get split up 
and then they'll get 25% of that money each year for four years. So after four years, the first year will be fully vested. But if they stayed for four years, they'll have two more years that are, you know, unvested three years. So they will always stay and they'll never leave. And I'm like, well, that's a terrible idea. Yeah. I want employees that are in alignment. I think of my employees as like, they're here on a tour of duty. Like maybe somebody will stay a long time, but I don't want someone to stay because they don't want to walk away from their profit share. Like go move to Fiji, like go start your business, go buy some crypto, like go do something. Don't stay here forever because there's $35,000 that you can't access unless you stay forever. Yeah. So I was like, ah, it's terrible. It encourages the wrong behavior, like stay and phone in your job so that you don't walk away from $35,000. It's insane. And it happens so often. Like I've got a corporate background myself and so many colleagues that I know are still just hanging on. And and you see it every year. The second those bonuses are paid out, there's like a wave of resignations, but it's the day after the bonuses are paid. It's like, guys, what? Like this is not working. Can you not see this is not working? Not working. And then I did this bonus structure once where I was like, everyone's going to get a bonus, but it's based on everyone's performance. Mm. And so like, if the company does well, you do well, which sounds so good, you know? And then there was a weird broken link or broken page or broken something. And of my 40 employees over the quarter, we paid bonuses quarterly. This link was broken and cost us hundreds of thousands of dollars. This link was broken for almost the whole quarter. 26 of 40 employees had direct interplay with this link and could have found it. And the bonus in my head as the CEO was supposed to inspire them to look for and find things, but nobody found it. I found it. But I'm like, why did nobody but me find it? And when I talk to people, I'm like, I just honestly want to know, like, how did you think about the bonus? They're like, no, I, never, I figured I'd get the bonus or I won't get the bonus. It Like, it is what it is. And I'm like, well, do you care about the link or do you care about the lost money? And they're like, it's not that I don't care. It's just that I had a to-do list on Monday. Like, I was just going through my job. Yeah. And it's like, you're trying to incentivize autonomous, decentralized leadership with very centralized and not autonomous behavior. So I wanted them to care about the link, but really they cared about what they thought was going to get them a good review, which was doing the things on their list. So I just, I felt like I paid the bonuses that quarter. And I was like, the entire reason I'm paying this bonus, it just feels like I'm wasting my money. And I like canceled all bonus programs. I'm like, I'll give you a raise, but I don't do bonuses anymore. I don't do profit sharing. And it's not that I don't want to, it's just incentivizing the wrong behavior. Yeah. And incentivizing, even looking at teams, like if you have one team that has had a really terrible year and something's gone wrong and it's catastrophic, or maybe they don't have the right people in that team. If they're letting the team down and they're not performing, then you instantly know that you're not probably going to get your bonus. And what does that do for team morale? Like, 
how do you feel? And like, we used to be a global company and, you know, if some other uh, countries were more impacted by say COVID, which was the case, and you know, we were doing really well. You looked around, you're like, well, I, I know I'm going to get half of it because those guys yep. are right now. I can't fix it. I can't change it. Yeah. That was exactly it. It was like, well, this is out of my hands anyway, or I know I'm not going to get my bonus. It's just like, bonuses. I wish they worked. I do think with salespeople, they have potential. I have a whole nother theory on sales bonuses. So I only bonus my salespeople on no's, not on yeses. I bonus my salespeople on keeping the bad guys out. So um, that's very yeah. interesting. Yeah. But I think it's important to look at as we're talking about how to organize your it could be your business. It could be a nonprofit you're involved with. It could be a charity. It could be your like community block association. It's like, what is the behavior you really want to incentivize? And could a DAO be a way to get the result that you want? And I haven't proven out this experience, which is why I'm saying I'm not an expert. We're still in the charter phase of building like our agreements, but in terms of governance and a totally new, I say leadership, but leadership means some like coaching things that I don't mean to lead by, but like a way of organizing your group. It is not like anything I've ever seen before. And it just makes sense for where the world is going. And it's why, like, I know this is about crypto. I'm lukewarm on crypto, but I am smoking hot on the blockchain. Yeah. So I, I don't, I, I don't know about, I don't know about crypto, but what I know for sure is the blockchain is the future. It has to be. Yeah. It, it, there's no other alternative. Yeah. And I think like crypto in general, you know, we've had some really interesting conversations on this podcast lately. And I think crypto, it's still evolving. It's still so young. And so the blockchain technology, like we all know that we all back that we see the tech coming to life every single day and changing people's lives for the better. And it's just that, you know, monetary aspect of it or the tokenization in some instances, that's, you know, going to evolve and going to change as the rest of it does. But there's no denying the tech is solid, like and change. Yeah. The world. Yeah. It reminds me of Barcelona. I don't know if, have you ever been to Barcelona? Oh, yet. No. Okay. So if you, a hundred years ago, went to any city, there was a way that all architecture looked. And then in Barcelona, there were a whole bunch of artists drinking a lot of absinthe and maybe possibly doing mushrooms. And they built the weirdest city. It's like a melting, multicolor, drug-induced architecture. Like you look up at a balcony and it's melting off the side, or you look at a church and it's an optical illusion, or you look at a park and it's this like multicolored kaleidoscope you're looking into. A lot of this is, um, I'm talking about Parkwell and Sagrada Familia and, and Gaudi's architecture, but Dolly was there and amazing people. And when I walk around Barcelona, I'm like, if you lived in that city, you suddenly know other things are possible. Balconies don't have to be square. Parks don't have to be green. Staircases can be Escher prints. Mm -hmm. And it changes your thinking about what's possible. And as you begin to understand the blockchain and NFTs and crypto, and especially if you're listening to this because you still don't understand it all, I think it's reorganizing us as humans and our ability to conceive of what's possible. Yeah. 
And a new world is being born from this. And half of what we're doing now is wrong, but the possibilities and the way it's changing you just by studying it or investing a little, or I'm going to do this Dow, who knows, it might be a disaster, but that kind of thinking is changing the world. Like we talk about a new earth is coming. We talk about like, you know, the next level of being human, like this is it, not because of the blockchain or crypto, but because of the way understanding these technologies changes our ability to think at higher levels. Yeah. And people could have never imagined, like I certainly could never have. If you look back five years ago and you tell me that we're doing the things that we are today with NFTs, that we are like, just watching just recently as we're recording this, you know, Gary Vee is going through releasing his new series of Friends, and the demand for that, like public launch sold out, it sold out before it even went public this time. And there's no utility behind these at the moment, but people are still paying so much money for them. And I think like, you know, you get trading cards with these ones as well. And there's some different things coming on, but they're so different to like, imagine thinking about that five years ago, I'm going to pay for a picture, which some of these are, you know, if you look at the ones without utility, you're paying for pixels on your computer, but there's so much behind it. And it's such an exciting time to really delve into this space. Now, talking about, you know, coming up and innovating it and thinking about new things, how did you actually broach this with your employees? How did the conversation go when you said that this is something that you wanted to do? Okay, so I have to shout out, there's a great podcast and there's a great Dow series on this podcast. It's a guy named Aaron Dynan uh, and his podcast is Brave New Work. And so I listened to his Dow podcast series and I shared that with the team. They have no idea what I'm talking about, but that's okay, I don't either. But I just socialized it very early. And one of the ways that Aaron explains it Um, You're in Australia. So you guys have roundabouts. Is that what you call your traffic circles? Roundabouts? Okay. So in the US, almost all of our traffic exchanges are lights. So we have lights and stop signs. But in Australia and in England, almost all of them, whenever possible, are roundabouts. And when you look at the number of traffic accidents, they're dramatically lower at roundabouts than stoplights. But America resists roundabouts. And here's why. It's lazy. A stoplight is lazy. You just, it's red, so you stop. And if it's green, you go. But a roundabout, you have to think, like, is there a person to my left? Is there a person to my right? Is this my turn? Is somebody entering the circle? And you have to like stay engaged and active and you're not sitting there and waiting. That keeps you in a leadership role as a driver. And so we started using this in my company of like, what would happen is an employee would get stopped. They'd be at the stoplight. And then Angela, the tiebreaker would have to come in and say, it's a green light, go this way, take a left, take a right. And I had to like direct traffic. But what I would say to them was when they started to come to me, after we started talking about DAOs. And I said, if this wasn't a stoplight and it was a roundabout, what would your answer be? What would you do? If you had to stay in the driver's seat, you can't just sit at the edge of a roundabout. People are going to start beeping. So if you had to maintain ownership. So that metaphor, I think was really helpful for people because what we're afraid of is if I just pull into this roundabout, there's going to be an accident. 
Yeah. There are actually fewer accidents. There's not none. You might make a mistake, but the chance of you, an expert, like let's say it's an editor, the chance of you making a mistake on a manuscript as opposed to me, I don't even know this manuscript. I'm not in the manuscript. You're in the manuscript. So I'm going to be the traffic cop. Well, I'm going to probably say, go right as you were saying, stop. And then there's going to be a T-bone at the intersection. But if you're just in charge of it, you're probably going to be fine. And building that authority in the team, and I will tell you what happened is people left. Yeah. Not everybody, but some people are like, listen, lady, give me the rules. Give me the instructions. I would like to sit at the stoplight. And when it is green, I will go with enthusiasm. But I did not sign up. There's nothing in my job contract that said, figure this shit out. I'm just supposed to go do it. So those people left and that's okay. Like with like brightest blessings, like, yeah. Right. Yeah. And there are new people coming in now. And as they're coming in, they're understanding like how tokens work and how their voting shares work and what sub DAOs they're on and how ownership actually looks. It's a little bit like an employee owned co-op or an ESOP or something like that. Like, They don't have all the votes, but they have votes. And so they expect to have that power when they get to the traffic circle, that it's their job to figure out the roundabout. It's not mine. And you've got a sub DAO to bring it to if you need a vote, but most of the votes are going to be yes. So you better know what you're proposing. Yeah. And why? And I think that that really gives them so much more power. And if you look at great leaders and and look at some common attributes between them, so many of them do allow their employees to really make those decisions and empower them to, to work with autonomy. So I think, you know, if you look at great leaderships and great businesses in the past, they have similar traits to what you're emulating now. So let's go into the logistics of it then. You just spoke about tokens and you spoke about sub doubts. How does it work once you've got it set up? Yeah. So the first thing about DAOs is it's about um, autonomy. And so you're going to assume positive intent. So if you think of how you think of your CEO or how people think of you, if you're the CEO, most people assume you know what you're doing. So they'll just be like, hey, should we send this email? And then you're supposed to know. As if God one day woke up and gave you the knowledge of, yes, we should send it or no, we shouldn't. But really in your heart or in your CEO's heart, like they're just taking their best guess, maybe with confidence, but nobody really knows. So the first thing that we had to do was we set up three sub DAOs. Sometimes they're called circles. Yep. And for us, that's client services, which is all the delivery stuff, marketing and sales and finance and operations. And so everybody is in one of those three circles. And then there's a representative from each of those three circles on our main DAO, which is like the executive DAO that does budgeting approval, breaks any ties, basically does salaries, things like that. So one representative from each on the main DAO and then everybody's sub DAO inside the sub DAO, there are members and they have their own job. So let's say it's social media. We're going to assume there's no one to go to. There's no org chart. There's no one to check with. You're in charge of social media. You don't have to get it approved by whatever, the legal department. We assume you know how to do your job and we assume positive intent. If you are ever confused, should I put up this post? 
you can ask your sub DAO to vote. And we do that all through Slack and emojis on Slack or little votey yeah. up, votey down. So if you're stuck, you go to the committee. There's not a boss. They're not your bosses. They're colleagues that are going to give you their opinion. Mm-hmm. They also might be right or wrong, but I think this right or wrong thing is the patriarchy, right? Like this is, do you know the word um, testify? Mm, It comes from the word testes. (laughs) And the belief was what women, because we're so changeable, could not be trusted to testify. Only men could testify because they had testes, right? This is where that patriarchy, right and wrong, yes or no, the truth is, guys don't know, girls don't know, non-binary. We don't, none of us know what's going on. Newsflash. Yep. So, so when you ask your boss, is this a good tweet? Your boss is really just guessing, but because of that org chart, you empower them with some knowledge or authority, which is that pressure I was talking about as like the dad of the family. Mm-hmm. But when it's your circle, which is a much more feminine, changeable. Now you're just getting feed. You guys think I should send this tweet? You're not expecting the person in charge of email or the person in charge of Facebook ads to know. You're just like, hey, you're a smart person. I'm a smart person. What do you think? Yeah. And then is that decision, because like, you know, when you look at traditional DAOs, is that decision, if they do put it to a vote and the majority says yes, if they didn't agree with that, do they still go with the majority then? Uh. Yes, although in the way we have our charter set up, in the sub DAOs, you're not required to. In the main DAO, which is where the main charter is, you are. So we have employees set salaries. So within your sub DAO, you have to tell everybody in your sub DAO how much money you want to make and why you think that should be your salary. The sub DAO votes on it and they're like, here, they get a budget. Yeah. Um, so they're like, you know, our budget was $300,000. We have six employees. Everybody wants to make $50,000 a year. Here are their names. They submit that to the main DAO and we do a vote. And if somebody voted no, they're like, Cassie, we're never giving her 50000 yeah. Then we would have to stick to that. And the sub DAO would have to come out back with something else. But one of the philosophies is... You always say yes, unless you have a really good reason to say no. And you have to have a counter proposal if you say no. Like, I really think Cassie should make 40000 because everybody else works five days a week and she works four days a week. Yeah. You can't just say, I don't like her. And our DAO is based on a 67% majority in the main DAO. So it's not a unanimous DAO. There are a couple things we have to be unanimous, like our final annual budget, but there's only like two or three things that we required unanimous. That's good. And I think that really leads into one of the biggest, I guess, challenges that people see when they think about a DAO and think about, is this right for me? They often go, well, that would just take so long? Like, wouldn't that slow down decision-making? And wouldn't that really... So much faster. Yeah, it is. It is. So, so, like, what's it actually like? It's crazy. I mean, it's faster for the same reason that roundabouts are faster than stoplights. A stoplight is sort of random. You can get a stoplight for, like, a minute when no one is around for miles. And you're like, am I still sitting at this stoplight? There's no good reason for this. And you're like, maybe I should just go through it. Am I going to... There's no one. It's 3 a.m. Why am I sitting here? A roundabout, yeah, it'll be slow if there's traffic. But most of the time, 
there's not traffic. Like with us, I mean, we're not a big organization, but with us, there's only one person in charge of social media. Most people just say yes to any of her ideas. Like there's just not a lot of traffic. So I can't, I don't know what it would be like if it was Procter & Gamble doing this. Uh, What I have heard, so this book... Who Decides Who Decides by Ted Rao. I think he says no more than eight people in a circle. And so more sub-circles, but no more than eight people in a circle. And that's what keeps the traffic moving. Yeah. Yeah. And and I don't know if you're a CEO, you know what it's like to be the bottleneck. Things moved pretty slow when I had to answer every question. There wasn't just stoplights. There was one stoplight, me. I mean, there were others, but. Yeah, of course. But I think this all comes back to like we've seen, you know, if you're into business and you learn about different business models and ways of working, like Amazon already has their two peeps up policy or policy is not the right word, but you know, their team should never be bigger than you can feed them with two pizzas. And of course, in America, they're a bit bigger than over here. But you know, working is so that things are able to work really quickly, that we're able to have speed with our decisions. And I think if you're looking at a DAO and you're thinking, oh my God, 50,000 people have to agree on something. Well, we've just shown that no, it doesn't have to be unanimous. Like you get to make that decision. And also you can make these smaller sub DAOs or circles that can really empower people to work faster with specialized people weighing on the, in on the decisions. You know, a specialized team, which we say at Spotify is another company that works with, you know, these really small hubs of people that are making decisions and they've got a representative from each department, which just gives them this almost like expertise uh, knowledge with every single thing that they approach in their business. Yeah, I didn't know they did that, but aren't they... Are they like Swedish or Scandinavian? Yeah. Oh, something yeah. Euro, yeah. Something, yeah. I, I think that's part of it. I do think that the Scandinavian culture is, they're a little, not in everything, I'm not saying they're better, but in terms of smashing the patriarchy, like a lot of those countries, unlike America, I know Australia has had, a a prime minister that was a woman, but they've had a lot of female leadership. And just like one token woman is different than having 50% of your government being women. And they've had maternity and paternity leave, which I forget what it's called, but parental leave is the word I'm looking for. Yes. So that is what I was talking about, about Barcelona. It's like, as you start to see the world differently, it becomes more obvious, like there are beautiful things about masculine leadership and there are toxic things and there are beautiful things about feminine leadership and toxic leadership. But when we look at business and lots of society, it is 80-20 masculine. And if we could bring that into harmony and balance, like all the fears that like everyone's going to change their mind and no one's going to agree. Like, actually, no, people don't even care that much. (laughs) It's just like, you do your thing. So every little decision is not a big debate, but everybody has more buy-in. And so, you know, the way the bonuses work is one token is one vote. So you're voting on the salaries, you're voting on the budget, you're voting on the P&L, like you've got to vote in it. And then one of the things we vote on is what do we do with our profit? So we have a grant program and everyone gets to vote on who gets those grants. We have a fund that stays, you know, we keep a percentage of our profit as a rainy day fund. And then 
you get a vote on whether we pull that money out. And we could even vote Sarah has COVID and had to take six months off and we should pull out Sarah's money, but nobody else's. Or we can say, hey, we're going to pull out $100,000 and divide it based on tokens. But those, not like a leader saying, hey, everyone's going to get a $10,000 bonus if we hit the sales goal is so different. Uh, It's surprising to me, people's salaries on average are actually lower when they're setting them because they're looking at all the data. You know, they're not just, it's like somebody lobbying me for a raise or for a higher salary isn't looking at everything. The main DAO is looking at everything. They're like, here's how much money we have for salaries. It's 20% of revenue goes to salaries. Mm -hmm. They get split based on certain criteria into each of the sub DAOs. And like, that's what it is. And people aren't lobbying for more money or pissed that Mary got a raise and they didn't. They're looking at the numbers and they're like, yes, pretty much makes sense. That's how much is here. Yeah. And going back to that ownership base, like I think as an employee, if you rather than, you know, going and putting your case forward and expecting that you get a bigger salary or a raise, you would go, well, okay, in order to do this, I need to make the company earn more money so that I can actually support this raise. Like, you know, I need to move something to get something. It's not just, I think I'm entitled to this, which I think is phenomenal. I think this might be related, but I do want to make a point about how bonuses are different than tokens. Like with a bonus, I I know this happens to salespeople a lot. You do a deal, you sign up to be a salesperson. They're like, we're going to pay you 3% commission. And then you blow your commission numbers out of the water and they have to write you a million dollar check. And they're like, this is a lot of money. Here's your big check for next year. We're going to increase your quota and we're going to lower your commission to 2%. Mm. And now like it's your job and it's just how it is. And when you think about anything your boss says, uh, Edelman did a trust study on corporations recently. And there's a whole thing about internal communications in your company. How much do you believe it? I think it was like 63% of people said they believe internal. And then like there was some number like 5% that was like, no matter what corporate says, I don't believe it. So let's talk about how brilliant the blockchain is. It's on there. It's recorded. I'm not saying you get a $10,000 bonus. I'm not saying you get a 3% raise. Your vote, your token is recorded on the blockchain. You can leave and cash it out, but it, it is on the blockchain. It's not like bullshit. It's like verifiable. And all that reporting that's behind it, there's people that are you know, doing work, but it's backed up by the blockchain. And that's what, it's not just like some big wig in the corporate office changing their mind. Yes. And I think that comes back to like, when we talk about the benefits of blockchain, like the fact that it's transparent and the fact that it's immutable, like those two things, it cannot be changed. Everyone can see it. Like, imagine if you had that. And we talked about that when we first started talking about crypto, like imagine if you had this transparency in your government or your organization, well, DAOs allow you to have that. It's just... It is incredible and it really, really changes things. And I think it, you know, does build that trust and builds that credibility as well as a business. Yeah. 
I was promised so many things as an employee. Stay three more months, you'll get a raise. Like, we're going to do this. We're changing that. Like, there is something different about seeing it recorded on the blockchain. Yeah, because, you know, it can't be changed. So we we could literally talk for days about this, Angela. Like, it's such an exciting topic. It's new. It's a new way of thinking. There's so much potential here. And we are really just scratching the surface with this conversation today. For someone who's listening and they're just like, you know what? I actually want to do this myself. Where would you suggest they start? Or what advice would you have for them if this is something they want to look into further? I really do think a great 101 is that Brave New Work podcast that I mentioned earlier. That podcast has a DAO mini series and they're like 15 minute episodes. It's a really good high level look in terms of what I'm talking about. So we talked about such a specific DAO. There are obviously lots of people with DAOs that are investing in NFTs. There are people with DAOs trying to buy the US constitution. Like There's so many different types of DAOs. And the thing to know about it is it's just a way of organizing humans. It's a decentralized, autonomous way of organizing humans. So for me, the main humans I organize are in my company. But if I was starting an unpaid theater group right now, I would probably set it up as a DAO. If I was organizing a neighborhood block party, I would probably set it up as a DAO. You know, it's like so annoying when you organize something and you're the only one who's doing all the work and everyone's asking you, do we need cupcakes? Like, can you figure out if we need cupcakes? How am I going to find out if we need cupcakes? I can call everyone and ask them. You, you Do you not have the same access to email that I have? So a DAO is a great way to organize people so that everyone is equally invested in the outcome and equally compensated not equally, but equally at the level they're at, fairly compensated for what they do. And it is not hierarchical. And to get your head around this, you are going to have to unbrainwash yourself because most of what we've learned about leadership is male-dominated leadership models. And this, by the way, helps men more than women, at least just as much as women. Like it's tiring to be the only one in charge. And it's tiring as a woman to have to like live in these models, but it's tiring as a man to have to live in these models. And having more balance is going to make the world a more beautiful place and already is in some ways. And maybe it's a little rough transition in others. And I love it. And you're not the only one. So that's the other thing about this. You know, there are so many people moving to this now and seeing the benefits. And it's something that anyone who's done it, the majority of them, if they've set it up properly and they've thought about, you know, the fact to not need to have a unanimous decision and, you know, set it up so there is that flexibility to still work, it's working and it's working really, really well. So it's such an interesting topic. And I just can't thank you enough for coming on and talking to us about this. Now, if someone also wants to write a book, how can they find you? How can you help them? So the best way to catch me is at theauthorincubator.com. And if you go to theauthorincubator.com slash free books, you can get any of my books for free on how to write a book, or you can see some of my pre-DAO philosophies on how to smash the patriarchy in your leadership of your company. That's my book, Make and Beg to Work for You, which sort of led me down this path as I was trying to solve some of these problems of just being really tired and burnt out, being the only one who knew the answers to everything. 
guys, if you are hiring someone ever in your business, you need to read this book. Like it is, it is just phenomenal the things that you reference in there. And I know it's such a passion of yours, which just makes it even better and even more powerful when you read those words. So thank you so much for coming on with us today. It's been an absolute pleasure having you. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining us for today's show. If you liked it, don't forget to head over to the gram and join us at Tapping Into Crypto. And before we finish up, just a general disclaimer that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. And the opinions on this podcast belong to individuals and are not affiliated with any companies mentioned. Any advice is general in nature and does not take into account your own personal situation. If you're looking to get advice, please seek out the help of a licensed financial advisor. We'll talk to you soon. 